Well, hello there, everyone, from a lovely Melbourne day. Spring has certainly caught up to us at long last, hasn't it? It's Pornate season, tadpole season, and I hope you're feeling well out there. A little extra bit of sunlight in the day seems to perk you up a bit, don't you reckon? Anyhow, Susanna here from the Left After Breakfast team, and the usual suspects will be along a little later, so... Stay tuned. Uh, good morning. You're listening to 3CR, the only radio left. Thank you, Bagman. You are, of course, listening to 3CR. And I'd like to start the program with a song. Last week, of course, which we didn't cover, was the 51st anniversary of the fall of the Westgate Bridge. I should have made more of a fuss about it, listener. I haven't forgotten... It's just so many things, trying to work from home, trying to get the program out from home, trying to get the members of the team to give me some content for the program to do from home. It's been difficult, (laughs) but I will play a song now in memory of Westgate.
Lakers and the chippies and the Boilermakers, the boys who had nowhere to hide. I think about how proud we were and how we got a bad job done. You gotta trust to your I haven't forgotten that 35 men who died when they heard the bolt snap. And yes, a cold wind does blow there at 11.50am. Next year, hopefully, listener, we'll be able to go there again and pay our respect to those men who died. And to remember that health and safety is the most important part of working. When you go to work, You expect to come home. You bloody expect to come home. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet. www.3cr.org.au Well, Glenn, how good to see you again. It's been a while. It has been a while, my dear, and a lot of things have happened the last few weeks. Yeah, I've intimated last time I spoke to you about just uh, the concerns I've seen in the streets of Melbourne and just uh, the historical reflections. Yes, you did mention that you saw a similarity between the rioters on the streets we've seen in Melbourne the last weeks and the New Guard. The New Guard was a fascist group in New South Wales in the early 1930s. Its primary focus was to remove the government of Jack Lang. Jack Lang was the elected Premier of New South Wales. He was a Labour man and he um, he obviously made enemies in the, in the right of Australian politics. He made enemies within the right, in the right. He did. He made enemies in a lot of places. But, um, the right saw him as some sort of, um, like a must have Bolshevik. He, he was vaguely left wing, but um, the right mobilised. And there was already a base to mobilise, and they mobilised against him. So the right of the Labour Party. Oh, no, no. The right of Australian society, the, the solid, God-fearing Protestant Anglo-Saxons who were in King and Country, found Langer a threat to Australia's you, you, English way of thinking. 
But you said Lang, Jack Lang, was a Labor Party Premier. He was, but the right of Australian politics found him a... They, he once said himself, he, was, he thought he was bigger than Lenin was his own words at one stage. He said what? He said he was bigger than Lenin at one bigger stage. Bigger than Lenin? Whoa. Uh, well, the riots said more than, ooh. Yes. There was a group called the Old Guard set up after World War One in, in response to the Bolshevik Revolution. And the Old Guard morphed in the late 1930s. It was called the New Guard, led by a chap called Eric Campbell. And they were a fascist group whose primary goal was to preserve English society by overthrowing the government of Lang. Sorry, whose primary goal was? The New Guard's primary goal was to overthrow the government of Lang, to protect English society, to make sure Australia was fit for respectable citizens, for king and country. Seriously, these people wanted to overthrow an elected government to maintain the English way of life in Australia. That's correct. It's happened more than once in Australia. Yes, it happened more than once, all right, lest we forget. Uh, the New Guard, they had, look, the figures fluctuate. They had around 30,000 members. and 30,000 members. Right. A lot were ex-servicemen from the old diggers. And um, they were run by a chap called Eric Campbell. He, um, he organised more military lines in Sydney with different zones, different divisions, different groups. And they, was, they felt they had a, they'd lead a coup against the, the socialist government of Lang. So it was run along military lines. Yes. But well, you said a lot of them were old diggers. Well, Campbell was an ex-officer in the Australian Army. And uh, they, they used to do things like they'd invite... the Labor Party meeting, they'd invite the ALP meeting and ransack things. They'd for Communist Party meetings. And left had their own defence groups. The, um, Seriously? What I like to you. Well, I suppose if he's been used to being in the army and now, damn it, all the war's over... Is he still playing soldiers' games? They did. They were drilling the streets. They were drilling parks. And the left had their own Workers' Defence Army, yes. Labor Defence Corps, and Australian Labor Workers' Army to protect themselves as the fast. And they were violent men, these new guards. Like the riders in Melbourne recently who, who ran to the things in Melbourne. The same mindset. Violent thugs. That's right. We need a defence like that. Now, what did you say they were called? The New Guard or the, our side? Our side. It was the Workers' Defence Army, the Labor Defence Corps, and the Australian Labor Army. Yeah. And they fought the fascists in the street. And it wasn't just the ones in Sydney. Thomas, old Blamey was around. Blamey had his links also. The uh, Blamey, the, the brothel creeper. The? Uh, Thomas Blamey, the famous brothel creeper. Head of Victorian Blamey police. Blamey, the brothel keeper. Head of the Australian Army in World War II. He was a brothel keeper. Oh, I'm sorry, this is something creeper, else. Creeper, not keeper. He was once found while he was in charge of the Victoria Police. He was found um, Brothel creeper. in a compromising position of a young lady who'd paid oh. services for. Oh, well, I, I don't really care about that. Oh, I'm just saying he was, uh, well, he was upholding the law. He was the head of the police force. He had to have some decorum, this married man. Well, I don't suppose men like that have changed. It's just we don't really care about that much, do we? Mm. I mean, look at the former Attorney General, but go on. Who? What's his name again? Oh, it doesn't matter what his name was. It's forgettable. But look, the New Guard finally found a way. But their their piece de resistance was the opening of Sydney Harbour Bridge in 1932. They gay-crested. We upset the opening of Sydney Harbour Bridge with their statement to show that the government wasn't going to ruin the place. We'll we'll ruin New South Wales. We'll run the place ourselves. And um, I'll talk more next week about the the episode of Sydney Harbour Bridge. It was a pretty disgusting episode. I think we've all seen that film. There's a short bit of newsreel, isn't there, of um, some someone leaping forward from this 
from a, you know amongst the crowd to cut the bridge themselves, to cut the ribbon, I mean. To attempt to cut the ribbon. We'll discuss this in a future shadow. His name was Captain Francis de Groot. Another former army man. Oh, they were, the new guard was like a, a Keystone Cops version of the army. They were violent. There were some thugs amongst them. They were also almost comical. And um, they put the police outside. The police aren't normally our friends. But the police of the new guard is a threat. And the police... The new guard made overtures to work for the police. And the police said, like, no. We're not going to work with you. And then the police have an infiltrate of the new guard. Anyway, we'll talk soon, very soon on your show, about Francis de Groot and Sydney Harbour Bridge. And just, what does it mean to us now? And what does it mean? Well, what does it mean to us now, Glenn? Tune in and you'll find out all about it, my dear. And until I return soon on this show, I'm listening to Susanna Duffy's Left Off for Breakfast on 3CR. And as I'd say in the old country, chocula. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's voice of dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. Thanks, Glenn, the 3CR resident historian. It's interesting to know, really, that these fascist thugs we've seen erupting on Melbourne streets over the last few weeks are not new. We need our own army to fight back, our own core of people, our own people. As Glenn mentioned, the ones back then in the 30s were called the Workers' Defence Army, the Labour Defence Corps and the Australian Labour Army. We might leave out Australian Labour Army, it sounds too much like Australian Labour Party, as does the Labour Defence Corps. But the Workers' Defence Army sounds better, though I'm not sure of the word defence, it sounds like you're on the back foot. We need the Workers' Attack Now Army. Oh, maybe that's too strong. The Workers' Fight Back Army. Well, let me know what you think, listener. Gosh, I really regret, listener, that my youth has gone. It's not being young so much that distresses me. It's the fact that I'm older and frailer and I can't get out there and punch back. Or punch first, as the case may be. In many cases in my life, it's been the punch first. People didn't expect a small blonde woman to get up there and whack him over the head and say, get out of here, you bloody fascist bastards. And it's always that first attack that took them off guard, so I won in the end. I don't think I can do that anymore. I don't have the, the physical strength to do it or the staying power. But, you know, I'll be on the front line when I'm needed because that's where I should be. Older people like myself should be on the front line. We can be dispensable. Well, let's be truthful about it. We are dispensable. And I'm willing to go up there and front them face-to-face, head-on again. You are listening to 3CR, your only radio left. And I'm getting carried away here. What I usually do after Glenn, our resident historian, has come on and said his few words, and he always ends up with chocula, the Irish Gaelic cry, chocula, our day will come. And I usually follow that with an Irish song, so I should do that right now.
Washington Street Where the loyal drums did beat The loving English feet that walked all over us And every single night when me da would come home tight He'd invite the neighbours out with this chorus Come out, your black and tans, come out and fight me like a man Show your wife how you won brothers down the Flanders Run like hell away From the green and lovely lanes Up hill to Chandra Come let us hear you tell How you slandered great Parnell When you taught them well And truly persecuted What are the sneers and jeers That you loudly let us hear When our leaders of sixteen Were executed Come out and fight me like a man Show your wife how you won medals down in Flanders And our the IRA made you run like hell away From the green and lovely lanes of Kilishandra Slew them all Arabs two by two Like the Zulus they had spears, bow and arrows Oh bravely you faced one with your sixteen pounds gone And you frightened them damn natives to the marrow Come out your black and tans, come out and fight me like a man Show your wife how you won medals down the Flanders the time is coming fast and I think this day is near When he's shown in traitor he will run before us And if there'll be a need, well our kids will say Godspeed With a verse of two of singing this fine chorus Golly, about time I settled down a bit and let's listen to something quite serious and quite rational without, you know, going over the top. And of course, it's Bucko. Ask Bucko, he'll tell you. Australia has had a chequered past when it comes to looking after our most vulnerable. The history of our treatment of the first Australians is dark and shameful. But in what could be an exercise in black humour, we now have a non-discriminatory policy towards all who are poor. This means that we have government policies which, either consciously or not, treat those who are of Aboriginal descent, the aged, those who are disabled, those who are addicted, those who suffer from mental illness, those who are homeless and those who are either unemployed or underemployed as second-class citizens. Now that is equal opportunity discrimination. Consider the millions of Australians who fall into any of those categories. The most recent example has been the vaccine rollout. Who missed out from the beginning? All of the above. Aboriginal people are still lagging in the area of vaccine coverage, even after being identified as especially vulnerable. Catching up now, but an afterthought. The disabled? Forgotten until now. 
We're at close to 90% of first doses, and yet this government has not bothered to include regional and remote communities. I live in a regional town only 70 kilometres from Melbourne, and last Wednesday, on October the 13th, we had a visit from a vaccine bus. The first visit, mind you. I don't have the figures on car ownership where I live, but plenty of people did not because they could not travel to Kilmore for their first shot. Many of the older residents were hesitant to get by me because the communicator-in-chief, also known as Mr Morrison, an alleged marketer, stuffed up the rollout by not buying enough supplies and by then bad-mouthing the product he was supposedly trying to sell to the public. No wonder he kept getting the sack from his previous jobs. We will never know how many deaths were caused by his and his government's sheer incompetence, but we all know that they got their shots first. We know that the recent lockdowns were caused by government inaction on vaccines because now that we have mostly caught up, state governments feel that they can open up again. Cause and effect can be an elegant equation. Let us move on now to hunger. As part of the Morrison government's response to the economic effects of COVID-19, we saw them respond, reluctantly and late, by providing economic support to those who needed help. They even doubled the unemployment benefit. This action saw millions of Australians able to pay their bills, able to find accommodation, even able to feed their children and themselves. Their additional spending helped to power the temporary economic revival. The majority of our economists applauded the targeted assistance. Of course, they were unaware that the poor were not the only recipients of government largesse. Billions of dollars also flowed to hundreds of ineligible companies, which opportunistically and cynically paid executive bonuses and even dividends to shareholders with their ill-gotten gains. But then, as expected, the the Morrison government's bastardry and adolescent hubris kicked in. They sent the poor back to where they belong, poverty-stricken and abandoned. They sent Australian children into a situation where, this is a direct quote from Guardian Australia, an estimated 1.2 million children in Australia went hungry in the past year, while one in six adults also faced severe food insecurity, a new report says. Food Bank's annual hunger report released on Wednesday as part of Anti-Poverty Week, suggests the number of people going hungry in Australia has increased since the coronavirus welfare supplement and JobKeeper payments were withdrawn. Uh, Now, this report was cited by Luke Enrique Gomez in The Guardian Australia. There are many solutions to reigning in spending, especially if the government you elected is stupid and venal, as this one is. But causing our children to starve is unforgivable. This result is a direct consequence of neoliberal thought. Someone tell me where markets will fix food insecurity when we export over half of what we grow. This government needs to be replaced at the ballot box as soon as possible. You can see how conflicted and useless they are. They cannot even agree on mitigating climate change in the area of providing adequate nutrition for our future, also known as our children, you would think they were at least able to see the harm they are doing. Starving children is very un-Australian. They should be ashamed of themselves. Vote these idiots out, first chance you get. They are dangerous to us all. 
and you can find Bucko at markbuckleymedia.com. You are listening to 3CR, your only radio left. Well, Batman, good morning. Good morning, Susan, and good morning to all your listeners. And first of all, thanks for taking my call. I'm a long-time listener for the first-time caller. Oh. Yes. <laughs> and we, we've got to throw in a disclaimer here, Susan, because because of COVID, we have to pre-record this program a couple of days before it goes to air on Friday morning. So um, that's a disclaimer that uh, people should know about. Now, today... We may mention the C word, but don't reach for the dump button. But we won't mention the V word because we've mentioned the V word um, too many times over the last couple of weeks. Can I just ask you a question? Sure. You said, did you say V word? Do you you mean V for La France or B for mutton? V for victory. Vive la France, thank you. Vive la France. We're, we're not going to mention the V word unless we get caught somehow, but we may mention the C word, but don't reach for the dump button because the C word will stand for coronavirus. But we're not ah. going to mention the V word because we're not going to mention uh, that uh, particular group of people that uh, don't, look after themselves and refuse to look after their own families and their own people around them. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Susan, it's all up to them now. And if they end up in hospital and if they end up dying, I'm sorry, but I've, uh, I've, I have no compassion at all. But the simple fact is we're about to come out. Well, when we... When this program goes to air, we will already be celebrating our freedom. I've already organised my internal password, a pass, a pass book. Um, what do you call it? Passport. Yes, yeah, so that I can travel anywhere in Australia. And I'm in the process now of arranging my international passport so that I can travel anywhere in the world because I'm double. Fact. You managed to connect your my health to your my gov account. No, I didn't, but my partner did because but, uh, he's a lot smarter than I am. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's done. You've got the my health connected to my gov. Yes, Susan, and because I am double vaccinated, I am going on a trip down the Murray uh, for a week uh, long trip down the Murray River on a paddle steamer at the, oh. end of the, at the end of this month. And I've already organised a trip down the Nile in Egypt because I will have an international passport because I have been double vaccinated. I think you're saying that to make all those people who didn't want to get vaccinated. I think you want them to be envious and angry, <laughs> don't you? No, well... If they are envious, Susan, there's nothing I can do about it. If they want to cut their nose off to spite their own face and uh, infect their family and their friends, that's their problem. Now, while, while we're talking about that, uh, let's send a shout-out to all the nurses, all the nurses, the doctors, 
the frontline troops, the paramedics and whatever um, that have been dealing with COVID over the last 18 months. And guess what Dan Andrews has done to them? What? Well, because of the recognition for the work they've done, he is now going to pay them an extra $60 a shift. Now, wow. our lad didn't do that in New South Wales. Listen, I hope you're listening, Josh, um, because Josh wanted us to free up the uh, economy uh, and all the people that die from this point on be on Josh's shoulders. So good luck to all those nurses, those frontline troops. Uh, without you, I don't know where we would be. And I don't either, Bagman. I no. really don't. Look, Susan, I have been in the back of an ambulance and I've uh, uh, many times and I've suffered some trauma in my life, but I've never, ever felt safer than when I was in the back of an ambulance or when I was taken to hospital and I was looked after by the nurses because the nurses are the bridge between the trauma and the surgeons who are going to deal or have, have your life in their hands. And without the nurses, I don't know where I'd be. Without the nurses, I'd be really scared because I'm just a child at heart. I'm just oh, yeah. a child at heart. No, I mean, I am just a child at heart and I get scared with hospitals and the lights and the noise yeah. and everything. But there's always been a nurse. As soon as a nurse comes and puts her hand on me, I calm down enough to exactly, do Exactly, Susan. Yeah. And, yeah. and unfortunately, they will be suffering for many, many years to come with uh, because of the COVID virus, because of the people that don't, uh, we won't mention that word, um, but they will be suffering for many, many years years to come and we can do nothing but congratulate them for the work that they do not just the nurses the frontline troops the paramedics the doctors uh, the nurses that were carrying out vaccinations at town hall a month ago when i was spat on they were spat on by rioters you have my uh, end of never ending great um, uh, congratulations now Listen, Bagman, yep. before you go on, yep. I just want to m make a point here to the listener. Now, you said you've got your MyHealth connected to your MyGov. Well, yep. I haven't. Oh, right. Because I can't get the blasted thing to work. That oh. is, they are the worst websites ever. I've always... Yeah. I've always, I'm the last person you should be asking, Susan. I'm not asking you, oh, Batman, right. as if I'd ask you, yeah. Evan. You have trouble opening an email. I, I do. I've, yeah. I, yeah. I've go, I would go to the opening of a letter. Yeah, well, you're sort of technologically enumerate. That's all right. Nothing wrong with that. Some <laughs> of us are. No, but I've, I'm telling you, I know websites and Every government website, they're all pretty bad, but these ones are shocking. And, of course, you can't ring them. It's like, dare I say it, trying to ring Centrelink. You know, you might yep. sit on the phone for three bloody days. No, but what I have to do tomorrow is yep. go to 
a Medicare centre. Now, where is a Medicare centre? Well, there I, won't be one open. I found one. Oh. In Abbotsford. Oh, good. Then that's it, just down and, the road from you. Yeah, it's only a bus and a bus yeah. and a tram. Oh, well, good luck with that. And I have to get there and tell them who I am, bring my passport and everything else. And I will <laughs> let them go through the ridiculous, endless loops yes. of the website. And when we first had this idea put to us five years ago, that our health records could be accessible to other people in governmental departments, hospitals, etc. And a lot of people said, a lot of people said, Oh, no, 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 don't do that. It's your privacy. Don't do it. And I said, oh, bugger that, mate. I want my health records accessible. Suppose I'm in Queensland and I'm knocked over by a, a wild horse. You know, I want my health records accessible to everyone. So they're accessible, except not to me. Mm. So, and- if, so if anyone else has that trouble, listener, if you're having trouble getting your MyGov and your My Health records tied up or whatever, the, and you're having trouble going round and round and round the endless loops of that very bad website which keeps crashing, then find a Medicare centre near you and go in personally and speak to them personally and let them do some work for a change. Yeah, you have to remember, Susan, that... That website is set up by the federal government um, and you cannot talk to a human being. But good no. luck to you tomorrow. Good luck to you. You're you know, gonna... the, the worst, the, I'm not talking about Medicare where you go into a local office for your, you know, whatever. Where you, you know, I don't mean a local office in a shopping centre. I mean an actual Medicare service government office. Ah, right. That's where you have to go. Well, and, my my and, prayers are with you, Susan. Oh, don't give me prayers, please. <laughs> hey, another, another another thing I'll say about government, federal government websites. I remember Richard Alston, who was the Minister for Communications, and in the year two thousand and one, he spent with your money and mine four million dollars to put up a website about the Ministry of Communications. It still holds the record as the worst website in the Western world that no one could find anything on it. Yes, well, they were expensive back in those days. Oh, $4 million, bloody. $4 million. Give me <laughs> a break. Look, I could have done it for $400. Well, you could have, but and made uh, a the government doesn't have to have a budget of $400. Now, look, Susan, I want to speak to, because this union, uh, this uh, program has been going for 34 years and it's been based on uh, trade union principles and the actions of trade unionists to fight for better wages and better conditions. And I'm going to read you a part of a poem that's sent from John, John Cranes from the Geelong Trades and Labor Council. Now, you remember the Geelong Trades and Labor Council was one of the most progressive trade union uh, councils uh, back only a few days ago, and let's hope that they still are. I do, I do. Yeah. So 
that this is uh, care of John Cranston, he's, uh, his lovely partner, Lindy. And you probably know this poem, and I've got to be careful. I've got my um, mum's wooden glasses, my dad's wooden teeth, and my brother's wooden leg on when I'm reading this. So be, uh, be very kind to me. Now, join in if you know the words. And it's, I'm too old to rat. I don't... <laughs> I've got a record of you singing that. Remember? <laughs> yes, I do remember that, Susan. But I'll just give you one verse. I don't care if the cause be wrong or if the cause be right. I've had my day and sung my song and fought the bitter fight. In truth, at times, I can't tell what the men are driving at, but I've been union 30 years. And I'm too old to rat. So uh, thanks to John <laughs> John Crantz from the uh, John Trades and Labor Council for that. And I give you some some Which... news and take into account we have recorded this program. The Qantas, according to Tony Sheldon, who is a senator for New South Wales and a former secretary of the Transport Workers Union. He says that Qantas has been hit with criminal charges for unfairly sagging staff. Now, if you, if you remember back to the distant times, Qantas sacked 2,000 ground staff and crew in 2020. Now, apparently they've been found guilty of unfairly dismissing those people and according to Tony Sheldon, the Senator for New South Wales, each offence for each or each penalty uh, is a fine of $594,000. So um, ha have a song in your heart and, well, uh, and a that, smile on your lips when you hear that, Susan. Well, we'll be paying for it. Well, in the end, I suppose, yeah, and increased uh, increased uh, fares and whatever. Federal, um, the federal government's bailed out Qantas twice in the last two years. Yes, you know I, that. Yes, I know, and it's our money. But uh, well, I don't mind spending money, taxpayers' money, if it means people are kept in work. Of course. People are working under the proper wages and conditions, unlike, unlike... The hotel, hospitality, and catering in, institutions, which were the, the 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 bastions for wage theft over the last ten years. Bagman. Yep. You know, maybe at times in those old days, remembered now by few, we did bite off in various ways, much more than we could chew. Yeah. But but we paid in sodden strikers' camps upon the black soil flat. We paid in long and hungry traps, and I'm too old to rat. The Queensland strike in 89 and 90s gloomy days. Then the day the opera company sang for us the Marseillaise. The sea of faces warm and sets the waiting bitter cup. The hopeless hearts unbeaten yet. The storm cloud rushing up the dying, fighting boomerang against the daily press, the infant worker holding out to the families in distress, the sudden tears of beaten men, oh, you remember that. 
and memories that make my pen not worth its while to rat. I've wept with strikers' camps with shivered man and beast. I've worn since then the badge of men, of hell and London East, white faces by the flaring torch, wathed wives the slaves of fat, and ragged children in the rain. My God, I'm too old to rat. Well, I told you I knew it. Yeah, well, that was all off the top of your head without any rehearsing and without uh, looking at um, the poem in front of you. Uh, but <laughs> good. it was very good, Susan. That, that, that's a poem to remember. But I was going to talk about something, about um, a, a party that's supposed to represent the working people in this country. Now, we have the Australian Council of Trade Unions and we have the Labor Party, and we don't mind being critic uh, criticising the Labor Party because they disappoint us so much, but we would never think of voting for the other mob uh, at uh, any stage in their life. But I I'm worried that the current... IBAC inquiry into branch stacking within the ALP is nothing more than a hop, a skip and a jump down the cobblestones of memory lane. Now, I want to take you back to 2015 in the foggy memory of time to an almost explosive time just to prove that branch stacking is not the sole realm of labour but a disease that's afflicted the Liberal Party also. Now, Susan, I've been around, around this, uh, around the track for many years. I joined the workforce when I was 14. I joined the Transport Workers Union when I was 14. And I spent 35 years as a militant union official since my, uh, since my time of retirement. And as I say in the classics, I reckon I know the ins and outs of the cat's guts and have dealt with many, with more than my share of rats in sheep's clothing. Now, if you look at the IBAC inquiry, if you've got a computer, put in IBAC into the uh, search engine, and you will see the branch stacking and the feudal warlords that have an undue influence on the Labor Party uh, in this state. Now, I, I should mention ethnic warlords. Now, it doesn't mean I don't want to be racist here. I'm talking about ethnic warlords that uh, hold uh, so much influence within the party. And if you go to the IBAC uh, inquiry, uh, you will see and there's been some, uh, some very shocking evidence given about some people. One person that was uh, supposed to appear today, guess what? He's got a sex certificate and he won't be able to appear, probably never, ever again. Friend of Kathy Jackson? <laughs> no. Um, who was that? Uh, who, was, who was that guy? I think it was Diane Asma. Um, she's a secretary of the Hospital Employees Union. Uh, it was her husband. I think his name is David Asma. He was due to give evidence before the Royal Commission into the, uh, into the trade unions. Uh, and um, he had some stuff he wanted, he needed to hide about, not only him, but also about his, uh, his wife. But 
two days before he was about to give evidence, he uh, he landed in Lebanon and got a doctor's certificate to say he, he couldn't come back for six months, if ever. He was too sick to fly. Oh, <laughs> too sick to fly. Oh, my God. Um, if you only knew the tricks, the, uh, the, the, the slimy tricks that these people get up to. Um, and if you want to know about the worst-kept secret in Australia, I advise you to go to, and I hope people have got a pen here, uh, go to a website called DennisEvans.com. Now, Dennis Evans allows me to use his website um, so that, uh, you know, when I'm in hiding, nobody knows where I am. But go to DennisEvans.com and Can read I... about Australia's worst-kept secret involving Caesar Mellon and the Labor Party and brand stacking uh, at its finest. Can I just say something here, bad man? Yeah. That Dennis Sevens, that's only got one in, hasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. I'm, I'm not that au fait with him personally, but I believe it's only got one in in it. So, so it is D-E-N-I-S-E-V-A-N-S.com, DennisEvans.com. That's right, Susan, and you'll find out um, Australia's worst-kept secret uh, about Caesar Mellon, about brand stacking. Caesar Mellon was a member of the Labor Party. Uh, he was well, a, a, a parliamentarian in the Labor Party uh, here in Victoria. And Caesar Mellon was caught running an illegal fund called Industry 2020, uh, where bosses were charged up to $50,000 a table to come to fundraisers. And you have to ask the question, Susan, we're entitled to ask, was that money used for branch stacking? Is there money in branch stacking? Oh, well, if you have a fundraiser and you invite bosses along and it costs the bosses $50,000 for a table, um, you know, do you want the meat or the chicken? Uh, and you want some uh, lunatic soup to go with that, some uh, uh, some uh, cheap red wine. Some uh, Transport then, Workers Union claret. Oh, transport, no, Transport Workers Union port, Susan. Then oh. you've got to, you have to take into account that the right wing of the Australian Labor Party is deeply corrupted. And if you invite bosses to spend $50,000 for a table at your fundraiser, then bosses are paying $50,000 to buy the party that they want. No such thing as a free lunch in this country, in this country, Susan. I'm just trying to remember, Bagman, the name of a particularly uh, well-known airhead hairdresser in Melbourne. Oh, Louis Frank. Lillian, of course, how could I forget that name? She was well-known, talking about, you know, $50,000 a ticket, she was well-known for putting on nice dinners to raise money for charity, and it cost you $10,000 a ticket. Who was and the charity? She'd have 500 people attend and would make 
less than $500 profit from the evenings. And the money yeah. went, I think, to a children's hospital or the hospital for <laughs> blind babies or somewhere. That's right. We, we should... We should send a cheerio to all the sick children uh, in the children's hospital. But, Susan, you've got to be careful here because poor Lillian, she's passed on to the uh, big hairdressers in the sky. Oh, has she? She's dead. I think so. <laughs> I hope so after the, after what you just, just said about her. I hope she's dead, Susan. I remember her, remember her screeching about she saw some fire trucks with some writing on the side, like pay us a fair wage. <laughs> and then guess what? There was, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, especially if she's dead. <laughs> there, oh, was a, was the other side. there was a fire at one of her salons. <laughs> and next yeah. thing, there's, the firefighters are the best people in the world. Yeah. Oh, did she turn around? And she's dead. Oh, well, she's obviously not missed. Well, Susan, I'm I'm hoping she's dead because what, you I said tend flowers. To, I said flowers, that's right. Oh my god. Oh god. Uh, yeah, her hairdressing salon burnt down in Turak. <laughs> oh my god. If it wasn't so funny, uh it would be laughable. <laughs> There's uh, another person that I'm hoping is dead too. Is that is um that woman who uh, with the terrible voice. And uh, she said that refugees should be shot on the beach. Oh, no. She, that's um, that's poor Jenny Little. Oh, no, she's, she's well and truly um, six feet under, Susan. Oh, well, that's good. I, I feel relieved now. Yeah, she said that uh, when refugees come to this country, and she said it on national television, um, and she was a... Bob Hawke was a great fan of hers, but she said when refugees come to this country by boat, because I'm not allowed to come by boat, they should be shot on the shore. As soon as they step off the shore, there should be a photograph taken of them and that photograph taken back to, uh, um, sent back to their relatives to make sure that they didn't uh, come by boat again. Well, another person not missed. No, I agree, but uh, she's well and truly uh, free case, Susan. We should always speak kindly about the dead. No. Uh, I, I say kindly that she is dead, and that's good. No. <laughs> that guy, the reason people say, oh, you never speak ill of the dead, that's in case their ghosts come to get you. That's oh, right. all it is. It's superstition that their spirit, ooh, their spirit might hear <laughs> you. Be careful. Uh, the spirit uh, might be listening. Jeannie Little and Lillian Frank spirits might be listening to me right uh, now. <laughs> uh, and and talking about talk talking about burying people. Now I don't know whether you know it, but I'm sure you do. I live in Coburg, right? And pretty near to me, there's a cemetery. Now it could be called the Preston Cemetery or the Coburg Cemetery. But I think it's the Coburg Cemetery. Anyway, I was taking a stroll and I was going with my dog and I walked into the Coburg uh, Cemetery and I seen some council workers. They were digging up a grave and I went and said, what are you doing digging up that grave? That's not, you're supposed to bury them, not dig them up. 
And the guy said, one of the workers, and he's working hard, he said, we're exhuming this body. Now, I think exhuming means bringing the body up. Yeah, dig um, up. Yeah. So I said, is this some part of a, an ongoing murder investigation? Oh, no, he said. Centrelink have deemed him, he or she fit for work. <laughs> That's me <being> right. <laughs> That'd be right. Uh, oh, my word. That's a Coburg Cemetery bag, man. And look, for heaven's sake, it's about that time. Oh, is it? Oh, well, I did have some more stuff too, but I'm, I will save it up for next week, Susan. But in the meantime, let's go out in the same old way. Why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. If you don't, fight. You lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast. And before we leave you, I'd like to play a song from Roy Bailey, the absolutely superb Roy Bailey. And regardless of whatever genie little, may she not rest in peace, said about refugees, Roy has some more words to say about them. The food is all gone And the schools are all damaged Houses and hospitals flattened to dust They're making their way to a distant border To pay out their savings to find a new life Masalam, my friend Masalam, dear neighbour I wish you much strength as you head out to sea You won't have a name when you reach a new country And all they will call you will be refugee Their fathers, they worked so hard all their years It took all the money they made in their life Sons and daughters went down to the water Left in a boat that sank and they died Masalam, my friend, Masalam, dear neighbour We wish you much strength as you head out to sea You won't have a name when you reach your new country all they will call you will be refugee Now all are illegal and all are not wanted The camps are all full so they have to move on Many hard roads to a distant country They're treated like outlaws like criminals, refugees They'll die in the hills And they'll die in the deserts They'll die in the valleys They'll die on the plains They'll die on the barbed wire They'll die under lorries Both sides of the seas They'll die just the same Masalam, my friend, Masalam, 
near neighbor who wished you much strength as you head out to sea. You won't have a name when you reach a new country, and all they will call you will be refugee. Their small boat sank. It was so overloaded, far out at sea with no saviour in sight. Where were the lifebelts? Where was the rescue? The radio said they were just refugees. Masalam, my friends. Masalam, dear neighbour. I wish you much strength. As you head out to sea, you won't have a name when you reach a new country. All they will call you will be refugee. This the best way we can help those in trouble. Is this the best way we can give them a hand? They drown in the seas, they die in the bombings, and all they will call them will be refugee. Masalam, my friend. Masalam, dear neighbour. Wish you much strength as you head out to sea. You won't have a name when you reach your new country, and all we will call you will be refugee. Masalam, my friend. Masalam, dear neighbour. We wish you much strength. As you head out to sea, you won't have a name when you reach your new country, and all we will call you will be refugee.